our hearts to receive the word that the Lord has for us today. <clears throat> I was reminded this weekend, Kathy and I got a chance to go away and spend some time with some, uh, some of the pastors in southern Idaho, Oregon, and Washington out in Boise. We had a neat time together. But uh, I was reminded during one of the, the times that we spent together, outside in the foyer, I don't know if you noticed, but outside in the foyer up on the wall, we have a, a verse. If I had to pick any verse out of the Bible that spoke to me or was something that, that really affected my life, it was that verse. It says, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So this morning, before we get going too far... I thought we'd take a minute and see if we had anybody here this morning. If you feel under burden and, uh, you know, something's weighing on you, something's weighing on your heart, some issue that you're going through, uh, you came to the right place. The Lord said, come unto me. But we need to know about it. So if that's you this morning, I just ask you if you would stand up where you're at and so that we can pray for you. Uh, I know there's a couple because you guys talked to me already. <laughs> Anybody else? It's no big deal, but if there's something, you know, we gotta we got to be honest with one another as brothers and sisters because it's hard for us to come alongside and strengthen weak knees and arms if we don't know about it. So if you're near someone who's standing, would you please stand with them and put your hands on them and lay your hands on them for prayer? Don't leave somebody without hands on them. If you see somebody standing by themselves, uh, deacons or elders, go get them. And let's go before the Lord this morning. Uh, Father God, Lord, we come before you as your word declares to us. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And God, this morning, we come to you with burdens and cares and worries and concerns. Now, Lord, you promise us, you promise us if we bring them to you, you'll give us rest. God, you never asked us to carry them. What you ask us to do is to bring them to the foot of the cross and leave them with you. To cast our cares upon you because you care for us. So, Lord, we just come before you this morning. And, and each one of these being a different request, Lord, they know what it is. God, we ask that they would lay that at the foot of your cross. Lord Jesus, that you would pick it for them, lift it for them. That you would be yoked together with them as brothers and sisters, God, and that we could come alongside, remembering one another in prayer. Lord, we lift these burdens to you, and we do pray, God, that you would move in this place in a mighty way to bring peace and to bring rest. Because you are the God of peace, the Prince of peace. And there is no rest except the rest that we find in Christ. Oh Lord, we pray that you would bring that in this place as we seek to open your word and seek your face, that you would anoint each one. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. I don't know if I can use Fritzy's glasses, baby. You want to go find mine? I don't know how he sees anything. These are mine. Oh, it's amazing how good they work too. Huh? <laughs> if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to invite you to open up to Matthew chapter 23. 
And we're going to uh, read together uh, this chapter. We'll, we, we should be able to finish the whole thing today, which is kind of outside of my uh, realm of possibility. But we'll see what the Lord will do for us. Matthew chapter 23, beginning at verse 1. It says, Then when Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, he said, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works. For they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. With all their works, they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad, and they enlarge the borders of their garments. And they love the best places at the feasts, and the best seats in the synagogues. Greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. And do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you, let him be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive a greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold in the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar, swears by it and everything on it. He who swears by the temple, swears by it and him who dwells within it. And he who swears by heaven, swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides that strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, and the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourself that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. So fill up then the measure of your father's guilt, you serpents and brood of vipers. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar." Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Ah, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. So see, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, as we come before you this morning, Lord, we ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord God, this description in the scriptures of professional religion. God, we pray that you would allow our ears to hear Lord God allow our hearts to receive father if these any of these indict us any of these charges we would repent that we would realize even as all day long you desired to gather Jerusalem together you are in this place today and you desired to gather your body together all believers everywhere to bring your peace, to sanctify this moment. Lord God, we ask that you would move in a mighty way in this place as we seek to honor you in the reading of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Matthew chapter 23. Jesus, you'll remember the last couple of chapters. Jesus had been dealing with a lot of charges, tricks, attempts at the religious leaders of the land to trip him up and to give them a reason to kill him. That was what was in their heart. An opportunity to to kill Jesus. How's he going to trip? How can we mess him up? And Jesus, answering all their questions and going through all their charges, he comes to this, this moment, this point in Matthew chapter 23, and he turns his attention and he lays out the charges from God against the religious. A lot of times, you know, I'll talk to people in town or around in a variety of places and they, and they always will say that to me, I'm not very religious, and I feel like saying, good. I'm not asking you to be religious. For crying out loud, I'm up here in flip-flops. It's not about religion. The word religion, guys, the word religion means to bind up. Jesus said that he came to loose 
those who were bound. To set at liberty the captive. To heal up the brokenhearted. That this was the work of Messiah. That this was the plan of Messiah. That this is what God ultimately wants to accomplish and do. But man takes the truth of God and he binds it up in a group or a list of rules or concepts, things to do. Now they always start from a good place. These guys, these Pharisees and scribes, once upon a time they were the forefront of the movement of those who love God with all their heart. And they were so committed to loving God that they decided to put together a practice of how they could ensure or help people or encourage people to love God like they love God. And pretty soon they got their mind off of the motive. What's our motive for doing the things we do? Because really, to get down to it, our motive is the only thing that matters. Your motive is the only thing that matters. What do I mean? I don't care how good you are, how well you live your life, how how many things you cut out of your life. If your motive is self, it's empty, it's, it's foolishness, it's a waste. If your motive is to love God, then your motive is right. It's right. We're, we're going to see some places as Jesus brings his condemnation of the Pharisees, he's not going to condemn what they don't do or what they do. He's going to condemn their attitude, the attitude of their heart. What is the purpose behind why we do what we do? What is the purpose behind our opportunity to come together and praise? Sometimes after we have a a worship service, uh, uh, folks don't see the sign above my door. The sign above my door says the deadline for complaints was yesterday. But sometimes they don't notice it. So they'll, they'll bring a complaint anyway and... And it'll start with either too loud or too quiet or too obnoxious or something. And which is okay, man, I understand that's, that's kind of where they're at and what, what they're dealing with in terms of worship. But what was worship for? It wasn't for entertainment. It wasn't to make us feel good or feel right. It's an opportunity for us to express our love to God. In the songs we sing and the things we do, whether that's standing or sitting, whether it's praising the Lord, there's not some list somewhere. Some people think there's a list somewhere that says this is what makes God happy. So if you sit down, God's not happy. He's only happy if you stand up. Listen, that list's not there. You can sit down and praise God from love in your heart. You can stand up and praise God with love in your heart. You can stand up and praise God with love for yourself. And you can sit down and praise God with love for yourself. They're both wasted. The key is what's my motivation behind what I do? Why do I come to church on Sunday? Some people say because my wife makes me come. Some people say because my mom makes me come. I don't know why it's always a wife or a mom. But we have these, but you see, the whole point is to come to know who Jesus is. And when we know who Jesus is, then we want to be where his people are. We want to gather in his presence. We want to spend time before him. We want to seek his face. All the scribes and the Pharisees, they had good things that they did in their life. If you and I saw them, we would say they're good people. But their motives were all bad. So as we take a look at what Jesus says to the scribes and the Pharisees today, I encourage you, don't picture scribes and Pharisees. 
Picture yourself and see if any of this indicts me. Does this speak to my attitude? The reason why I worship or the reason why I do the things I do. There are some very specific things that that Jesus focuses on in this scripture in terms of what's going on with the Pharisees. Let's take a look. The first one is their deeds. Have you ever heard someone say they don't practice what they... Probably have heard that before. (laughs) They don't practice what they preach. The idea is that our behavior does not follow our beliefs. That's a very basic root of hypocrisy. Over and over again, Jesus says, Woe to you, the scribes and Pharisees. You'll notice he says it seven times. And if you want to go into a little bit deeper study, you should study those seven with the seven Beatitudes. And what you discover is each one is in opposition to the seven Beatitudes that Jesus brought out. Remember, blessed be the poor in spirit. But as we take a look at this, he says, Woe to you, scribes and fairies, hypocrites, who pretend to be one thing and in truth are another. Look what the scripture says. First thing he tells in verse 2, he says, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. That is a place of authority. Moses' seat, the seat of Moses, was a place of authority to help the children of Israel understand what does the Lord require. What does God want? How do I please the Lord? That's the seed of Moses to explain to them the law and how the law should be carried out. Now the Lord doesn't say they shouldn't sit there. But he does say they sit themselves there. He doesn't say I put them on Moses' seat. But there they are in the seat of Moses in a place of authority. And in this place of of authority, listen to what he says. Therefore, whatever they tell you, observe it. When they're reading from the Word, when they're expressing what the Word of God was saying to the people, God says, pay attention to that. But listen, don't do it according to their works. Don't do it like they do it. Because they don't practice what they preach. What's he say? For they say and do not do. They have all these words of encouragement or plans for the people. And this is what you need to do. And this is what you need to do. And this this is what holy looks like. Let me tell you how holy looks. And they lay all those things out for them. But the very first, the very first charge that Jesus brings against them is their deeds don't line up with what they're saying. They don't do what they say to do. How many times we got to watch a preacher busted on TV who once upon a time was, you know, something big or some special deal. And all of a sudden he gets found somewhere he shouldn't be. Doing something he shouldn't do. Being somewhere he shouldn't have been. And all of a sudden you discover what? He's not practicing what he preaches. That's the first indictment that Jesus brings against the scribes and the Pharisees. They don't do what the word tells them to do. Their deeds don't line up. Listen, Paul had something to say about this in Romans chapter 2. If you want to flip there with me. Romans chapter 2 is a couple books to the right. The book of Romans. And Paul, as he's uh, considering some similar issues there with the same guys, he has something to tell us. In Romans chapter 2, verse 17, 
It says, Indeed, you are called a Jew, and you rest upon the law, and you make your boast in God, and you know His will, and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law. And you are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having a form of knowledge and truth in the law. Paul says, this is what you guys say of yourself. This is what you know, and this is how you can guide, and this is how you can help. But then listen to what he says in verse 21. You, therefore, who teach another, don't you teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who say, to abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? The charge was, here are these guys, and they're given all this instruction, and it's good stuff. But the number one problem that the Lord has with them is, you say and do not do. That you're not committed. Your motivation in that case is so that you might lord it over someone else, but not so that you might instruct yourself and convince yourself to repent and change your direction. Hey, the church is good at this. You don't think the church is good at this? Just let a ballot come through about uh, legalizing homosexual marriage. Man, the church get all in an uproar over it. And we'll make sure that uh, that doesn't make it through on the ballot and people will show up and people will vote. It's a height of hypocrisy. The height of hypocrisy, because within the church, sexual immorality is rampant. People live together and are not married. People within the church, if you, if you polled the church and said, how many of you participated in premarital sex before you got married? We would probably not be really shocked how many hands are in there. It's a height of hypocrisy then to say, well, we're going to really come against this issue when we don't turn the microscope upon ourselves and say, you know, I got some things I need to take care of in my own life, my own camp. Hey, all of those things God forgives. But he's not going to forgive something that we don't turn to him and say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. This is wrong. And help me to walk in the way everlasting. Their deeds were not consistent with what they taught. The second thing, he goes on in verse 4. They bind heavy burdens that are hard to bear. And lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. The second thing Jesus brings, the second indictment. Is that they have these incredible demands of people. They have these crazy concepts of how much they can put on to the back of someone, yet they're not willing to lift a finger to help. And they wouldn't put enough burden on themselves that they could even just use their little finger on. They're just busy putting burdens on other people. On other people. The indictment that Jesus brings, the motivation for them is to look at the sin on somebody else and the issue with somebody else and never to look upon themselves. And to put the burden on someone else to do the things that you yourself are unwilling to do. 
That's the indictment that he's bringing before them. Paul writes about this in Galatians chapter 2. In Galatians chapter 2, a little bit further over from Romans, he says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh is justified. If you have your own little set of things that you do to make sure that God loves you more, just need to know, there is nothing you can do to make God love you more. There is nothing you can do to make God love you less. The point that he's laying out is that there should not be these humongous burdens placed on the people. Jesus said, I came to set you free, to loose the the bondage, to loose the binds that are holding you back and restraining you from moving forward and being all that God wants you to be. He said, I've come to loose those things. I've come to set you free from the bondage of sin. I've come to set you free from the failure that you experience under the law. And that by, by falling into love with our Savior... We're able to accomplish the things God asks us to do with proper motivation because we love Him. Love always does more than the law requires. Because we love Him. But that wasn't them, man. They had all these things. You know, you can eat on this day, you can't eat on that day. You can have this food, but you can't have that food. You can, uh, before you eat, you have to wash your hands this way. Before And then before you eat the next part of the meal, you have to wash the dishes again. Whatever their issues were. Actually, Paul writes about them in the book of Colossians. All the regulations that they had. Listen to this and see. Think about different regulations and and issues within the, the church and the body of Christ. Listen to what he says. He says in Colossians chapter 2 verse 16. Let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths. He says, these things are shadows of that which is to come. But the reality, the substance is Jesus Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility or the worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from which all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to these regulations? Do not touch. Do not taste. Do not handle. And all these things concern those which perish with the using. According to the commandments and the doctrines of men, these things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, the neglect of the body, but they are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh." No matter how many rules that they put up on how to wash their hands or what they ate or what day they did what, how far a day's journey was on the Sabbath, the variety of 
regulations that they put together. None of those regulations will help you an ounce in your battle against the flesh. You know that thing inside of you that just wants to do wrong? None of them will help. Rules and regulations don't do it. Rules and regulations show me the condition of my heart. There was a time Kathy and I were getting ready to do a, the marriage retreat that we did a little while ago. And the night before the marriage retreat, we had a fight. That's a shock, isn't it? <laughs> night before the marriage retreat, we're having a fight. We're having a disagreement, you know. So, of course, you know, being people who are prepared to teach them at a marriage retreat, we are going to apply all the godly principles and do it right. Right? No. Huh. No, we, we, went, we went ahead and, and did it all like you're not supposed to do it. And we argued, and we even said to each other, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't care. <laughs> you ever done that? <laughs> to everybody who's snickering has been there before. <laughs> I know that I'm supposed to, but I just don't care. And after a little while, you know, we're sitting here looking at each other, you know, eventually... It becomes so ridiculous, it's hard to, to continue the nonsense. And, uh, and I shared with Kathy, I said, you know what this fight shows me? Shows me my heart is still wicked. I still want to do those things that I ought not want to do. I still want to hold my name up and my rights before everyone else. It's, it's one of the things we struggle with as human beings. But the reality is, Christ, listen, Christ came to set us free from that. I don't have to be that way no more. If I'm that way, it's my choice to be that way. He has set me free. Set me free from the darkness of my heart. And, and I can set up all the rules and the tools and this is how you do it. And whenever you have a fight, this is how you talk to each other. And then make sure you do this and make sure you do this. But does that, those may be good things. But they give me no power over my flesh. Which is screaming at the attempt to be restrained. So the scripture says, the scripture calls us to make no provision for the flesh. None. Nothing. The flesh doesn't need our help. If you help the flesh, the flesh is going to whoop you. We want to feed the spirit. We want to feed the spirit. That's the beauty. I love the fact that we live here in this community and we have like 75 Christian radio stations to choose from. Now, of course... I have to go between two because there's two represented in the church. So, of course, I'm a 107.7 and then I'm at the bridge back and forth. Seeing what the Lord has in each of those. Now, I actually do listen to a couple others, but don't tell those guys. Oh, <laughs> the reality is what an opportunity to feed the spirit. The point is, it's not the regulations that give you the power. But here the Pharisees were. They had all these burdens. I can give you all kind of burdens, all these things. But their burdens put on the people did not help the people to become holy. Listen, we're not holy by what we do. We're holy because of who we know. 
We're holy because of a relationship with Jesus Christ, not a religion. We're holy because we want to draw near to Jesus Christ. I'm holy because he who knew no sin became sin for me that I might become the righteousness of God. That he on the cross took my sin, all my wrongs. He bore them upon his back. The stripes that he bore were mine. Stripes that were due me. The death that he died was a death I earned by the sin that I would commit in my life. But he became it. Listen, don't lose sight of the fact that he did not just bear your sin. You understand? He did not, the Bible does not say he bore your sin on the cross. The Bible says he became your sin on the cross. He who is holy, the holy, perfect God became sin and died. So you could be set free and be covered in His righteousness. Not the regulations that these guys have their demands, but they don't put those same demands upon themselves. And then there's a third thing the scripture tells us. The third thing that they did. Verse 5. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garment. And they love the best places at the feasts and the best seats in the synagogues. Greetings in the marketplace and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. They love to be seen by men. They don't care how they're seen by a holy God. But they love to be seen by men. Jesus said they'll stand on the street corner and pray. When he said they'll stand on the street corner and pray, what he's saying is, not that it's wrong to stand on a street corner and pray, but what was their attitude? What was their motivation? So everyone would see him, right? So everyone would see him. They loved the greetings in the marketplaces. People would come up and, oh, most holy rabbi. Oh, the most incredible Pharisee. But people ask me, who I am or what, I sh- what they can call me. What should I call you? Well, I've been called a lot of things in my life. I prefer not to be called many of those things <laughs> anymore. Uh, I'm Jackie. That's it. When I was in Bible college, we asked a question one time of a professor. We said, so when do we get the title pastor? Yeah, with that attitude, not for a long time. <laughs> See, pastor means servant. The picture of a pastor is that of a shepherd. I guess when you have a shepherd's heart, people recognize you as a shepherd. If you don't, you shouldn't be. And it ain't about titles. What's the motivation? What's the motivation behind the things we do? Their motivation was so that people would see them. So that people would think they were good. It's not, it's not bad necessarily to say, I want to have a good reputation. But reputation is not everything. What really matters is character, right? Reputation is what everyone else sees. Character is what you are when they're not watching. Character is what God's concerned with. What's our motivation? What's our focus? The scripture says that they made their phylacteries wide. Now the phylacteries, you guys know, the phylacteries are the boxes. According to the the Shema, the phylactery was a box that they would put on their hands. The, the Word of God says that, the, that God's Word should be bound to the back of your hands and to your forehead. 
Now, I believe what God was insinuating was by binding the Word of God to my hands that the things I do would be founded in God's Word. And by binding it on my head, like frontlets between my eyes, that the, the, the Word of God would be my, my headlights, my, my guide, that's which guides me through a dark world. And so he's saying, bind it to your, to your forehead, bind it to your hands. Well, they would bind them in boxes. So they would write out the Scripture and they'd wrap this box around their hand. But in order so that their box would be considered a greater box or a better box, they'd make bigger and bigger and bigger ones. Is it not ridiculous? So I got a refrigerator-sized box on my forehead. (laughs) So that the people who see me think, look at that big old phylactery. Now that's not what we would think here, huh? We'd think, what a nutcase. What are we going to do? Somebody call the paddy wagon. Send them to the special little rubber room. But the idea being, the whole point, the motivation behind everything they did, their worship, their prayer, their existence, was so that what, would, what do people think of me? Not what does God think of me. What, what do people think of me? Not, I'm, not, I'm not coming before the Lord in worship or in prayer because I want to see His face. But I'm coming to the Lord in worship and prayer and, I, and I'm bound by the concept, I'm bound by the burden that says my motivation is the person next to me. Hey, I, struggle with, I still struggle with motivation today. I ask myself every day, why is this so important to me? Is this something God wants me to do? Or is this something I think I need to do so people will think... I'm doing right or doing well or doing proper. What's our motivation? We talked before, right? Who are you carrying the stone for? You remember? Who are you carrying the stone for, man? We, Jesus said, take my cross and follow me. Who are you carrying a cross for? Yourself? Or are you carrying it for Him? Is our motivation Him? Is the reason I lift my hands in worship because I love my Lord and Savior and I want to express that love to Him so I lift my hands? Or is the reason I lift my hands because everybody else is? Is the reason that I do the things I do, the prayers I offer, the, 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 the whatever things that are a part of my worship of God, what's my motivation? Is my motivation because I love God? Because folks, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels that have not love, it what? It's nothing. It's a clanging symbol. It's meaningless. Though I, though I understand all mysteries and I have all knowledge, if I don't have love, what's the point? It's worthless. What's our motivation? Is our motivation what God says is the one thing He wants? Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? You remember what He said? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God. Love people. Jesus said, all the law and the prophets hang on these. Why? Because if you love somebody, I guess you won't steal from them. You won't murder him. You won't commit adultery. You'll honor your parents if you love them. The thing is, love is that motivation. That's that thing that we need to connect with. And that's what's missing from these guys. So they enlarge their borders. They're always maneuvering for position. 
You know, I want the best seat. I want the best seat. I had somebody actually tell me one time, they don't, they don't come anymore. They came to church one time. And they came to church and they sat down. And when they sat down, somebody came and told them, you're in my seat. And I thought, man, I didn't see no names on the back of them chairs. And maybe, you know, I'm not, I don't know the heart of what happened. You know, sometimes people get oversensitive too. Don't, let's not read too much into it. But the point being, you know, there was this, this deal that took place. The people got up and moved and they never came back again. Was, was it worth the seat? It ain't worth the seat. Who cares? They eagerly, they wanted the best seat. I want the best seat. I want to make sure I have that right place. I want to, you know, we're all scrambled up now. I used to be able to tell everybody because Castleford was all over here. <laughs> now Castleford spread all over the place. We've, yeah, it's, there's an integration has occurred. Yeah. It's all good. But they, they wanted the best seats. You know, sometimes, some places in churches, they have them seats up top. And that's for the extra special guys, right? They sit up front. Well, not that that's bad. What I'm saying is there are some people who that's their goal. Man, I want that chair. I want to be seen. I want to be in that special place. I want to make sure everybody knows who I am. Man, the motivation is sideways. They're maneuvering for position. They're not maneuvering to say, man, I want to love the Lord more. I want to really understand this relationship with God. You know that God knows you? Knows everything about you? He loves you anyway. He wants to move in your life and equip you and, and help you to overcome the struggles and the burdens that we face. That God really actually knows who you are and wants to move. But, but we, our motivation sometimes can be sideways. Our motivation about who, who knows me. Am I recognized in public? Hey, trust me, you don't want to be recognized in public. That happens at the weirdest times. Yeah? You don't think so? Go, I'm in Walmart. And me and Kathy are once again thinking about having an altercation in line. (laughs) While we're standing there. No, we don't fight all the time. But these are just examples today. So we're we're waiting in line. and 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 I almost feel the freedom of nobody knows me here. Man, I could just really say what I think, which is a is a is an acronym for saying I'm going to let the monster out of the cage. He needs to get back in the cage. You're not supposed to let the monster out of the cage. There's nothing, nowhere does it say, open up the cage every once in a while and let the monster roam. <laughs> you put that sucker in the cage, lock it, and leave it alone. There's no such thing as I just need a little release. No, that's not a little release. It's all bad. Cage him. It's okay. But I'm thinking about letting them out. And just about that time, the, the cashier says, Hey, Pastor Jackie. <laughs> Kathy. Kathy's just cracking up. She's just, she's just laughing. And I, and I look at her for the life of me. If you're here today, I'm sorry. But <clears throat> I have no idea who she is. I really enjoyed church last Sunday. Oh, thank you, Lord. Did I did not let the monster out of the cage. <laughs> they, they desire to be recognized. Ooh, I want to be recognized in public. If I get recognized, I want to be recognized for doing something godly, not something fleshly. 
They wanted to maneuver for position. And Jesus said, hey, these are issues. Your, your deeds, the desires and the demands that you place on people, these are problems that the Pharisees had, the re- professional religious people. That was their goal. I want to be like the Pharisees. That's, that's how they were. But I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like that. I want to be real. I want to be a real person with real problems who loves a real Lord, who is really alive, who is really moving today, who will really speak to you and guide your life, who will really help you in times of trouble. It's all real. Not something sold on a street corner somewhere late at night, you know, buy this book and it'll solve all your problems. Hey, Jesus Christ is real. He wants to meet us. He wants to move in us. So look at what Jesus tells his people. Listen, they love to be called rabbi. So Jesus says, do not be called rabbi. For only one is your teacher, the Christ. And you are all brethren. Here's the basic understanding of what Jesus is teaching. He's, he's prohibiting the concept of titles. We love titles. What am I? Have I become the deacon or the most right elder or the most right reverend Jackie? I got mail like that once. I was at, <laughs> this is bad, man. I was at Joshua Springs, and I'm just an assistant pastor there. And uh, so I'm serving, just, just helping uh, senior pastor Gerald. I'm helping him out, do whatever he wants me to do, which is basically a glorified title for janitor, cleaner of toilets, whatever comes up. So I'm doing all of those things and taking care, and I get mail. Now the mail all goes through the secretary. That's a kiss of death. So they get a piece of mail, not for everybody, no. They got a piece of mail for the most right Reverend Roberts. And so I come back into the office and this is plastered on the bulletin board. It's been run through the copy machine and enlarged to like humongous size. And they've got this title all around my desk, the most holy right reverend. It kept getting bigger. Every time somebody would hear about it, they'd add another word to it. You know, pretty soon it would take you ten minutes to say the whole deal. This title, you know. And the funny thing is, there are really people out there who think that's good. Jesus said, don't even let them call you a rabbi. And the closest thing to being called a rabbi today is doctor. He says, don't, you have one rabbi. One rabbi, it's Christ. You have one master, it's Christ. You have one teacher, it's Christ. It's Jesus who's those things for us. Our job, we are all, every one of us in this room, we are all under rowers beneath Christ. Whatever He has for us, whatever part within the body that He wants us to do, that's what we do. And what they call us, what people call us, how they refer to us, does not matter. It's immaterial. What matters is, what can I do for the Lord? He says, don't be about titles. Don't be looking for titles. Don't be grasping for titles. Don't worry about those things. But just focus on what is it that God wants you to do. That's what he lays out first. Hey, don't do this. Don't be, don't be looking for titles. Then he points to the importance of being a servant. Look what he says. He goes on and says, first, do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher Christ. 
Do not call anyone on earth your father. Dad, that's not talking about dad. He's talking about someone who says, I'm the one who, who gave birth to you spiritually. Right, sometimes people say, oh, I'm their, I'm their spiritual father. Well, you know, it's not great. I mean, Paul refers to that with Timothy, that he was his spiritual father. The idea being, as long as it's, I'm the one who led him to the Lord, not I'm the one who saved him. You understand the difference? Oh, he's, he's my disciple. No, don't be my disciple. Bad idea. Be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Don't call anyone father but Christ. He's our father. He's the one who gives us life. Uh, don't many of you be called teachers. One is your teacher, the Christ. But who is greatest among you shall be what? Your servant. Your servant. When we gather together in this place, when we come together and to desire to seek what the Lord has for us today, and as we gather in this place, listen, it's an opportunity for us to find a way to serve each other. You know there are people here this morning who need a hug and encouragement. There are people here this morning that need to know somebody cares enough to come alongside and say, can I pray for you for something? That's what he's talking about when he says, be a servant. Look for a way that you can affect someone's life in a positive way when we come together as a body. A way that we can help. A way that we can help those who are hurting or deal with those who are struggling. And then he tells us not only to understand the concept of being a servant, but then he tells us the importance of being humble. He says in verse 12, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He wants us to understand humility. The Bible says God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Who is it? I'm just teasing. I, hey, mine went off the other day while I was up here, so it happens. He, he resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. The, the instruction for us, Jesus is saying here, I don't want you desiring after a title. I want you to look for opportunities to serve one another and be humble. Not exalted, humble. Humble. Isn't that who Jesus was? He was humble. That's what we want to be. We want to, we want to follow the example that Christ gives us. We want to be humble so that God will lift us up. And then he turns from this point, he kind of lays out, okay, here's the problem with the professional religious people. Here's my issues with them. Here's what my direction to my disciples, this is, this is where I want your focus to be. Not on these things, not on titles. You know, I want you to be humble. I want you to serve one another. Look for opportunities to be one another's servant. And then he turns condemnation to, to what is it? If you take this road of professional religion, you take the road of the Pharisees, these are the things that you can expect to hear from the Lord. This is his condemnation of them. The first thing he tells him in verse 13, look, he says, Woe to you, scribes and hypocrites! You shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, so neither do you enter or those who are about to enter. What's he say? His first condemnation, guys, is you're preventing people from entering the kingdom of God. Number one complaint about people wanting to come to church is, Oh, a bunch of hypocrites there. Now, yes, do I understand that that's baloney? Sure, it's baloney. There's hypocrites everywhere. There's hypocrites at McDonald's and they still sell 9 billion hamburgers. All, all over the place there's that hypocrisy. But what, what is he saying here? The professional, religious, those who are like the Pharisees who are focused on these things, not on loving God. 
You're stopping people from entering the kingdom of God. You're stopping people from entering in to what God has for them. He goes on in verse 14 and he says, Not only that, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. The second thing he condemns is you, you pray forever. You make these long, elaborate prayers. It, it all sounds good, but in the reality of it, your prayer, the reality of it is, you're ripping people off. Don't make these long prayers so that people look at you and think, oh, must be holy. Look how long they can pray. They were stealing. They would, take, they would go to widows and say, I'm going to take care of you. Just commit all your stuff to me. And the widow would commit all their stuff to them and they'd steal their stuff. Man, it's, it's, he says, this is, this is condemnation that he gives. This is the road that we take. The next thing he says in verse 15, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he's one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. They make disciples after themselves. You ever known people who follow a teacher so weird that wherever that teacher goes, whatever that teacher says, whatever, man, that's the guy. So much so that if he actually was to say, hey, let's all move to Gehenna, where they're going to get up and move. Yeah, Gehenna's hell. But some people don't know that. Oh, they've done that too. Very similar to what uh, Jim Jones did. What happened? Why do people follow him? Why do they drink the Kool-Aid? Why do they do that stuff? Because this guy, this person made disciples of himself, not disciples of Christ. Every teacher, I don't care who he is, every teacher is a sinner, struggles, has problems, has issues. He's not worthy to be followed. Christ is worthy to be followed. That's who we follow. Jesus Christ. He's the one that we want to have our eyes on. But that's the, the condemnation he brings. Oh, your, your eyes, you're making for yourself disciples. Then he goes on and says, Woe to you, blind guides who swear by the temple that it's nothing, but whoever swears by the gold in the temple is obliged to perform it. What's he talking about? You remember when we were kids and we would say, Oh yeah, I swear, and behind your back or you cross your legs or you did something, right? And then after you were done making the deal... You, you said, ah, oh, my fingers were crossed. It doesn't count. That's the same thing they're doing. Well, we swore by the temple, but not by the gold in the temple, so it doesn't count. We swore by the altar, but not by the offering that's on the altar. What does Jesus tell us in James? Jesus says, don't swear at all. Just let your what? Yes be yes, and your no be no. But this is what he's condemning them for. Making these crazy deals. Woo! They're nutty. They're crazy, the things they're doing and the plans that they have. In verse 23, he goes on, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you pay tithes of your mint. They're they're paying tithes with their garden herbs. So they're, they're, they're watching the little insignificant details, okay? But the big, massive details, they're not paying any attention to. You tithe, but you're forgetting the weightier matters, matters of justice and mercy. You're forgetting the things that God desires men to be a part of, that God wants to see. Micah 6.8, what did he say? He has shown you, O oh man, what is good and what is right. What does the Lord require of you? That you do justly, that you love mercy, and that you walk humbly before your God. 
They were, they were tithing. Jesus said, these things you ought to have done. Not that it's wrong for them to have tithed. But they also should have been concerned about the weightier matters. And this is how he described it. You're taking a little screen and you're making sure you don't swallow a gnat. A gnat was the smallest unclean animal. A camel is a big unclean animal. So he's saying, you are straining out the little bitty gnat, but you're eating a camel. You're, you're trying to be, have this attention to detail in the most minute sense, but you're ignoring the big problem, the elephant in the room. And you're swallowing that camel. His issue is you have twisted priorities. Your priorities are sideways. Your priorities are all these other things, these little issues. But you're ignoring the big issues. What's the big issue? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's the big issue. Tithing the mint out of the herbs in your garden? Cool. But ain't no sense in doing that if you're missing the concept of loving the Lord your God. The last woe, the last of the seven woes. We come into to verse 27, or second to last. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you are like whitewashed tombs which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones. False purity. False purity. Outside, everything looks good. Inside, everything's all screwed up. Outside, got it all together. Inside, everything is messed up. Jesus says you have false purity, making everybody think that it's all good, it's all right, but the reality is, inside, you are messed up. Hey, we want to be real. Just be real. Just be a a, a real person. If you're struggling, I'm struggling. Things are good, praise the Lord. Things are good, let's praise the Lord. But whatever we do, let's not put on that mask that makes everybody think we're good. You guys know how that mask looks, right? We all did it when we drove into church. Because I see some of you guys coming in the driveway, and man, things are flying all over in the car. (laughs) And then them faces, they kind of look like this. But then something happens when you come, come over to that first dip and you're looking for a parking place, you go like this. <laughs> Whitewashed tombs. <laughs> hey, we want, to, we want to be examples of who God wants us to be. All the time. All the time. Every opportunity. We don't want to be like the Pharisees. Pretending to be pure when we're struggling. Verse 29, he tells us the last woe. Woe, scribes and Pharisees, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous. And you say, if we lived back then, we wouldn't have joined in their killing. They are building the tombs of the prophets whom their parents killed. And Jesus says, I hide a hypocrisy because right now you're getting ready to kill me. You're planning on killing me. And when I send my disciples, you're going to kill them. And when I send other people to you, you're going to beat them in the synagogues and you're going to do everything your fathers did. Because your heart's not changed. And if our heart's not changed, we still are who we once were. 
So what is the consequence? What's the consequence of all these things the Lord lays out for them? He says, how are you going to escape? How can you escape the condemnation of hell? How can you escape these things that you're going to face? He says, I'm going to send you prophets. The first thing, when we reject the truth of God's word, the first thing we do is we treat God's prophets, the teachers, the people who want to come to you and share the truth of God's word. We treat them with contempt. They become the butt of our jokes. They, they, we, don't, we don't value them, care about them, whatever. We just want to shun them. We want to shun those things. It's the first step. That's what he says. I'm going to send you, he said, prophets, wise men, scribes. Some of them you'll kill, crucify. Some of them you'll scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. The righteous blood will be on your head all the way from Abel to Zechariah. From A to Z. Everyone, all of them, their, their blood will be on your head. And then he turns in verse 37. Listen, as we close out, I just want you to hear this. Jesus, he's laying all this stuff out. Here's what they've done wrong. Here's what I want you to do. Here's my condemnation of the, the attitudes that they have. And then listen to what he says. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the one that killed the prophets and stoned those who sent to her. How often? Who wanted? I wanted. Jesus is saying all throughout your history, I have wanted to take care of you. I have wanted to comfort you. I have wanted to give you peace. I have wanted to hold you in my arms. I have wanted to protect you. I have reached out to you. I have leaned out to you. I have put myself in position to be in your very presence this morning so that I would have an opportunity to love you. But you would not. I, the cry of the Lord has not changed. He's here today saying the same thing. Only He's saying, Calvary Chapel Buell, Calvary Chapel Buell. How often I've wanted to gather you together. How often I've wanted to hold you under my wings. How often I've wanted to whisper in your ear that it's going to be okay. That I love you. That I want to strengthen you and encourage you. That I'm going to make sure that you're going to make it. How often I have wanted to gather you together. But the question is, will we? For he will not be seen again until we say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. One day Israel will say that when he returns. But today the question is, will we say it? Will we say, yes, Lord, I want that. Yes, Lord, I want that. Or, or no, I'm seeking the religion of the Pharisees. Or the reality of Jesus Christ. Why don't you stand with me this, this morning and we're just going to have a time of, of worship and closing in prayer. And as we close in prayer, I just want to give a, an opportunity. I want to give an opportunity. We'll have the prayer counselors move around. And I know that Sunday school teachers are pulling their hair out because Jackie's over again. And, 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 and the restaurants are already full because the other churches get out on time. I know. 
But the truth is that that question is still the most important question anybody's ever going to ask you. Jesus right now is saying, your name, how often I wanted to gather you together. How often I've wanted to give you the strength you need for what you face. Are we trying to do things in our own power, and our own strength? Are we trying to find God through a religion of concepts of do's and don'ts? Or are we trying to find the Lord in an idea of, I want to love God. I want to pour His Word in my life and just love Him in what I do. Not, not a strict code or concept or whatever. We're going to have an opportunity this morning. We're just going to spend some time in, in worship. It's just to be a little bit of time compared to eternity. But the choices we make echo in that place, right? The choices we make here. Today, Jesus is calling. So worship team's going to come up and we're going to sing a song. And I'm just going to ask the prayer counselors to be available up front and around. And as we sing this song, I just two things. One, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, but you're struggling with something, come up and receive prayer. And, and repent of those things. If you're being pharisaical, if you're struggling with those things, repent, repent of them and be set free. Secondly, if you don't know the Lord and you want to know the Lord and you want to have a real relationship and not a religion, come up to one of these guys and the, and the gals that will be up front and come before them and ask them. They'll lead you in prayer. Hey, you have not because you ask not. The scripture says all I need in order to be saved, the Bible says, is to call upon the name of the Lord and thou shalt be saved. To call upon Him. So we have that opportunity. And if none of those things are going on in your life, then you need to, as a body of Christ, be praying for those who are struggling, that they would have an opportunity at a fresh start. Amen?
Day. Glorious day.